Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Snowboarding, presented by Mountain Vibes, featuring your hosts, myself, Nate Haust, Emily Sorger, and Jarrett Shinoda. Today, we'll be talking with a very experienced rider who's been a part of the industry for quite some time and who is currently a Mountain Vibes rep. We're hoping to hear some of his insights into the snowboarding world and how it's changing. We're stoked to introduce Brandon Wagner. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm stoked to uh, be sitting down with you and kind of get into depth about the snowboard industry. Yeah, we're and glad the, to have you, Brandon. Thanks, brother. Good to see you again, Jer. Of course. <laughs> well, Brandon, first and foremost, how are you doing today? I'm stoked. Today I'm doing good. I am uh, had a, an injury early season, so I'm, I just started walking again within the last two weeks i'm off crutches so physical therapy a few days a week but so i'm just really happy to be able to really happy to be walking again that's great i mean i I know the uh the hardships that come along with kind of coming back from injuries so i do know the uh the feeling that you're experiencing and how how positive it can be yeah tell us a bit about you where you're from originally and how long have you been riding for all right. Well, I'm originally from San Clemente, California, a little beach town here in Southern California in Orange County. Uh, great surf spots, pretty famous for some of our breaks, trestles, lowers, trestles, uh, uh, 204s, Old Man's, uh, Sano. So I grew up in the surf industry. My, my, my old man was a pro surfer back in the day and started surfing when I was four years old, I think. Like very awesome. walking and then surfing. Um, and that transition into skateboarding, this was a long time ago. This is the early eighties. I'm, I'm uh, 40 years old. So I've been in the, around the industry for a long time. I was pretty much raised in the industry. And then um, I started snowboarding in the early nineties in, in Utah, actually. And started snowboarding professionally and traveling when in 1995 and retired in 2001 from uh, too many injuries and <laughs> an opportunity. Name in the game. <laughs> yeah. Family stepped in. My family stepped in. My, my grandparents are really awesome people. My grand, my grandfather said, Hey man, uh, I think it's time to call it quits and go to school. If you're willing to retire and get out of the snowboard scene, we'll pay for you to go to college. So I, uh, I jumped at the opportunity and at the time, all my sponsors were super stoked and they're like, awesome. Go to school, man. It's the best thing for you. So, yeah. Dude, that's awesome, man. It sounds like you've really been kind of in the industry your whole life. Um, was curious, you know, starting surfing at a young age, how was the transitional period into snowboarding? Can you find any similarities and, and different, or can you rather explain the similarities and differences between surfing and snowboarding? Yeah, um, man, there's there's so much. It balance is so huge. Obviously, surfing, you're in water. There's nothing holding you down. Where yes, you know, skateboard and snowboard, you're on on the ground. So with surfing, your your core balance is so important. And understanding when surfing, you call your rails, which you know edges on a snowboard. Understanding how they work and the, just the functionality of you know a toe edge and a heel edge is is exactly the same thing. Of, of knowing your movement, whether you have water under you or snow or on a skateboard, you know, concrete. So it's, it's, it's really cool. Um, understanding weight distribution 
too, and how to slow down, speed up, move. It's they they it's really a lateral move from one to the other. And I I even would include skiing into there too to be a really good. I started skiing before I started snowboarding, and understanding edge control is is so important for for snowboarding and just understanding how that works and how your body movement works with going all the way from your shoulders down to your hips to your feet and maneuvering a piece of wood or foam underneath your body to to do what you want to do with it and manipulate it totally yeah i had um i tried surfing a couple years ago and you know kind of showed up with confidence thinking i was going to be able to hop on the surfboard and just catch a wave but it was uh quite the opposite i just got (laughs) annihilated for yeah getting tossed around by waves is a different game i might have stood up once and it was just like uh it was, it was definitely a humbling experience. Yeah. I, th- I think across the board for any board sport, you have to know going in that you're going to get your ass kicked. I think, and, and I guess, obviously you guys know this with snowboarding. There's no like, oh, my first day of snowboarding, I jumped on and was hitting rails and jumps and I didn't fall once. Everyone's story is the same. And <laughs> I, I mean, I know, I know everybody here has heard the same story a million times whenever the word snowboarding comes up is, oh man, my first time my friends took me to the top of the black diamonds and <laughs> I ate it all day and had black and blue and da 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 da. It's always that same story, but it's, it's across the board for, for everything. And surfing's the same way. You have to know going in, like, this is going to suck for a period of time. I have to put in X amount of effort. And if I want to get better at this, there's just no way around, even paddling, just paddling out alone. The first time you paddle out or the first few times, even when I haven't been in the water for a year or two, I have, I have multiple shoulder injuries, which we can get into injuries later, but um, like just paddling out when I haven't been in the water for a, I've gone, you know, a year without paddling out and I'm exhausted before I even get out. And then I don't even want to surf. I'm like, I don't want to paddle back in. I'm so exhausted. My shoulders hurt. I don't want to move my hands. There's, there's so many different muscles that are involved in it. It's exhausting. Yeah, definitely a lot of variables. Yeah. Um, so, you know, back into snowboarding, you know, along the way, I know you've, you've ridden for a lot of different companies. Um, who are you riding for now and, and kind of who supported you in the past? Man, uh, early, early career. Uh, very, very first sponsor for snowboarding was a little teeny snowboard and skate shop in Logan, Utah, that was called Black Dog. And this is awesome little skate and snowboard shop. That guy named Kevin Geddes owned it. And um, again, being a surfer skateboarder kid at this time in, in Utah, I picked up snowboarding and, and I already kind of knew the industry a little bit and I knew what it would take. And I came from a really poor family. And my first time snowboarding was via a friend of mine that had a snowboard that had wealthy parents. So he had a snowboard and unfortunately I'm not a big dude. Uh, it's hard to tell from a zoom meeting. I'm only five, seven, like 140 pounds. I'm a small, I have a small frame. So my friend was significantly larger than me. And so he, he had a snowboard and then he talked his parents into getting him another snowboard so that, because he was snowboarding alone. And I knew how to ski and skate and surf. So he's like, dude, you can ride my snowboard for right now. And, and, and so that I have someone to ride with. And it was way too big for me. I didn't have boots because obviously he had a, a boot size. It was 10 times larger than my boot size. So I wore Sorel's. Uh, Sorel's 
and bindings were too big. So I even like, I, I think we shoved like rags inside the bindings so that my boot wouldn't slide around inside the bindings. Cause I had them strapped as tight as they could go. And the board was like a 162. And again, I'm not a big guy. So, <laughs> but awesome. I got the opportunity to snowboard with him because again, his parents bought him another one. And so he, cause he, he wanted someone to ride with and we got to ride together and I had so much fun. And honest to God, that the picking riding that snowboard one time was I don't know if I pick put skis on again after that for years yep. I just was like oh I don't have to ski ever again this is what I'm gonna do <laughs> um and then I I borrowed from different people for for a while and I couldn't afford a snowboard and then um I was renting and borrowing that that little snowboard shop would rent boards so they'd let me borrow them they they hooked me up for skateboarding I was on a like a flow team for them for skateboarding so the owner would let me borrow snowboards here and there and then one day i talked him into uh riding with me uh, the little local mountain it's called beaver mountain I said dude can i just can we ride together i, I really want to get hooked up for snowboarding i want to i want you to figure figure out how to get me a snowboard blah 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 and so he went out with me and i just hucked myself all day long that's it i i knew that it was like i gotta impress this guy and, and show him like what I'm capable of doing. And honestly, like things that I, I couldn't do. I just, any mogul, any cat track, it was like, oh, backflip, backflip, front flip, like try to huck a seven. And I wasn't landing anything. I was just ragdolling down the mountain. I think by the end of the day, I like bloody nose and black eyes. And I was just like, I was beaten, beaten to death. But, but um, what was rad, the guy was, he was a young guy that owned the snowboard shop. And uh, he was so cool by the end of the day. He's like, dude, we got to get you better gear. You're going to kill yourself. And we have to line you up because you're just, <laughs> you're just dying on the hill. So he, he uh, figured out a way through a rep to get me uh, some, some equipment from Ride, Ride Snowboards. And man, uh, when Ride first came out, they had a binding company called Preston. They got, doesn't exist anymore, but Ride's bindings were called Preston Bindings. And so he got me on with Ride and Preston. I still own that snowboard to this day. Uh, it's a 143 Ride snowboard, and it weighs more than a LibTech 162 that I still own to this day. It, they were snowboards were so heavy in the 90s; it was crazy, and the bindings were so heavy. Everything it weighed, and again, I'm not a big dude, so this equipment was my calves were like this big around because you're just like trying to ollie or do anything on these boards was cr just carrying them to like from the car to, the, to the chairlift to strap in was, was a workout in itself. They were so heavy, but so I was on with, um, kind of like a flow program from ride and then black dog was taking care of me. And at that time I was bouncing back and forth between Utah and California. And when I came back to California, um, I've been able to excel at riding. I took, uh, I, I signed up for gymnastics. I think I was in like the seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade. And I just, I signed up for gymnastics. I wanted to learn how to move my body and uh, learned how to do flips and all kinds of cool stuff and how to manipulate it and get back to my feet instead of just <laughs> tomahawking down the hill. <laughs> so learned how to get my feet back underneath me. Um, and I'd spend my whole summers doing that, just gymnastics on trampolines, anything I could do, jumping off piers here at home, like San Clemente Pier, doing backflips off San Clemente Pier, cliff diving, like anything like, how do I get, how do I rotate 
and over my shoulder to get my feet back underneath me like a cat and uh, figured it out. And um, when I came back to California, obviously there's no black dog here. So I uh, linked up with Active Ride Shop. Now, unfortunately, Active just went under in the last couple of years, but in the 90s, they were the hot ticket. So I, I linked up with the guys from Active and they were cool enough to put me on the surf skate and snowboard program. And they were, they were the best thing for me, to be honest, getting on with a good shop was the best because they could get on flow programs. They had connections to everybody. And back in, back in the early nineties, uh, you know, Mac dog and those old Mac dog videos were, were so big. And I had my heroes. Um, my hero was Jamie Lynn, Jamie Lynn. I don't know if you guys even know who that is anymore, but he goes oh, by yeah. hobo Jim now was my, my hero, I had bleached platinum hair and a labrette piercing. And uh, I started getting tattooed when I was 15. Uh, I had a full sleeve by the time I was 18 that I got up in, uh, in uh, South Lake Tahoe, Nate. No, no, oh, right no way. And um, I wanted to be Jamie Lynn so bad. He was my hero. So I uh, told the guys at Active that and they, they linked me up with LibTech. And so that was, I couldn't have been happier at the same time through another friend via skateboarding, I uh, got linked up with Dragon and they put me on a sunglass program for skateboarding and then laterally moved me over in the winter to goggles and and like the full program with, with Dragon for snowboarding. And those guys really took care of me. They were hands down the best sponsor that I'd ever had th- through my entire career. Dragon was so great. And they let me crash on the couch, their Oceanside house and, and surf and, um, they were just really good people. I was able to even survive and live in the early years of traveling and competing because of them. They would send me boxes, send me boxes of goggles and glasses and backpacks and hoodies and everything. And I would sell all of it. And they knew it. Like team managers knew it. I was like, I keep one pair of goggles for myself. I had one pair of goggles and one pair of sunglasses and then a t-shirt and a backpack and everything else I would just sell to every, like all the lift operators at Squaw. And especially them, everybody, all the lift operators and the, uh, 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 like the park staff at Squaw would buy everything off me. I'd just show up with boxes and, and sling it. 20 bucks, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever. Awesome. I, I could eat and buy and live off Top Ramen and Mac and, you know, Easy Mac back then while we were traveling around. Um, so it was cool. I was on Lib for a little bit and um, it was, it, I was wanted to be on Lib so bad because I, uh, the team was so amazing. Um, but there was no way that I could, uh, I could be a spotlight there because the team was so big and the writers were so big, their names were big and trying to get a spot on a video or, or a, a magazine shot or whatever was next to impossible. So Dave Lee, uh, that rode for, for Lib left and went to, uh, he started his own company called Supernatural. And it was an opportunity to uh, be on a new board company that, and have my name out there and, and try to still, still trying to make it in the industry. And so myself, uh, Matt Hammer and Matt LaBelle, um, who I'm still friends with, Matty LaBelle, I still talk to all the time. He's from Mountain High area, Emily. I'm sure you know Matty. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so we went to Supernatural and it only lasted about a season or two. And then it went under, unfortunately. And then Dave eventually created signal snowboards down down the road. But uh, when uh, Supernatural went under, I 
jumped ship to, where did I go from? I went from Supernatural to Capita. My friend Luke McMasters, who did just, Capita had just started. They were a brand new company, also another new company. I was like, okay, got to get on the new companies and uh, heard that they were going to be huge. So I, I jumped over to Capita and um, man, was still doing Dragon Capita. DC had just started, they were making skate shoes. They just started making snowboard boots. So I got a bunch of prototype snowboard boots from DC and uh, moved my back, my butt back up to Ta like Tahoe area to Truckee and was riding up there for a while. And then from Capita, I think I called it after that. I called it in 2001 is when I stopped. I shattered my leg in 2000, uh, my left leg and had to have it completely rebuilt, shattered tib, fib, talus. So both your bottom your femur goes into your patella, which is your kneecap. And you have two leg bones that come down your, your uh, um, tibia and fibula that run into the top of your talus, which is the, the top part of your heel bone, which is your calcaneus. And I had shattered my tib, fib and my talus plateau completely off. So your leg bones come down like this oh. and they broke out and up. Wow. And uh, <laughs> so I had to have those rebuilt plates, rods, screws, et cetera. I tried to come back that next season, which was 2001. I came back hard and I just couldn't. Um, the, the industry was excelling so fast that if you were, if you were down for any time at all, you coming back was like, oh crap, like we're doing these now? Like, oh shoot, like, like we're doing those tricks. Where did that come from? Switch backside two seventies, like down kink rails. Like where did that come from? Like everyone was just doing regular frontside two seventies. Like before I got injured, like they, so the tricks it just it was the progression. The, the extreme sports just progressed so fast that getting back onto it, and I was in so much pain all the time that even coming back uh, to riding with that injury, I was I was duct taping my buddy rookie. Uh, we were kind of we were living in big bear at the time like crashing at a crashing at my friend johnny's house on moonridge right right below bear mountain and he would duct tape my foot every morning because we didn't have again this is the 90s so we didn't have like all the cool ace wraps and the cool things that they have now so he literally duct tape i had i put my socks on he would duct tape my ankle put it in the boot and then we would ride and then at the end of the day when we get back we'd have to actually cut my sock and the duct tape off so I had to have new socks constantly. Luckily, Active made great socks. So I always had boxes of fresh socks every day. So we'd have to cut it off. And it, was my, it would just be haggard. My leg was just destroyed back then. So that was the point where I decided to, to call it. Um, I quit riding completely. Went to college. Uh, got a, I was in a band. I was in a metal band and toured with them. And I, I quit riding um, for, I think, like six years. I didn't touch a snowboard. And I went to school for architectural design and got a job designing for Ikea. And I was a designer for them for a long time. And uh, a guy that worked in my department for, was a graphic designer for them, graphic specialist, always talked about snowboarding. We'd have lunch together. And he's always like, dude, so you got to come snowboarding with me. You got to come snowboarding with me sometime. And I'm like, oh man, I haven't even picked up a board in years. I, uh, I'm, I was... I, it had been so long that I was actually scared to put a snowboard back on because of my memory of being good at it, that I didn't want to be bad. I didn't want to come back to snowboarding and not be good anymore. And I had this ego that was 
way too big that like, oh man, that was amazing. And then if I was like, if I come back and I suck, then I'm only going to remember that I sucked. So it took him a long time. It took him two years to talk me into it. And I think it was 2006 or 2007. Uh, he talked me into riding with him. I'm like, all right, I'll come up with you guys. And went up to Mountain High with him and strapped a board on. And uh, first run felt amazing. I was so stoked. I'm like, oh, why did I, why did I quit snowboarding? This is the greatest thing in the world. I, I, I couldn't have been happier. You couldn't, you couldn't punch the smile off my face. Like even like my first run, I was like, I'll just ollie on these, these boxes. I'll just ollie on this rail. We'll just try it just to see what happens. And it felt so good that uh, immediately like that day, like the next day, I like, started reaching out to everybody that I still knew in the snowboard industry and anybody like, Hey, is this still your cell phone number? Blah, blah, blah. And um, right away I had, I got uh, linked back up with Rome. So Rome flowed me a, flowed me some equipment and um, who else, man, it was 2007 Rome flowed me with some stuff, Holden, Holden outerwear. So fun story for, for young bucks. Um, back when I was a young, a young buck, uh, snowboard gear was made only baggy. Yeah, so I mean, when you're a, a little guy, like Jared's, Jared's not a big dude. So nope, small guys. Yeah. Small guys. Uh, it was only baggy. So if you wanted outerwear that fit properly, you had to wear women's. So in 95, 96, when, when uh, Four Star Distribution came out, which was Forum Snowboards, Forum Circa, Four Square, and Special Blend. Um, I got a, like a, a flow program from Four Square, and uh, I would only get women's pants. So I wore women's Four Square pants because they were the only thing that fit me properly. So when I came back to riding in 2007, I was so stoked that Holden made fitted outerwear. And to this day, now in in uh, 2000, I, I ride Nitro and L1 and I love L1, uh, it fits, it's been, they're, they're great people. I love the design of it. Everything fits little frames and I wear, I like to snowboard like I skateboard. Um, so I wear, I like my, my snowboard pants to fit like jeans and where I don't like to having a little ton of gear on. I ride in sunglasses, even on powder days at Mammoth. I only ride sunglasses unless I absolutely have to put goggles on. Uh, that's something that uh, I'm sure Emily's seen. Justin knows it makes yep. fun for powder days. I'm in sunglasses. Uh, it's a weird thing with, with being able to see my feet on rails. Dude, uh, I completely, I know exactly where you're coming from. I, I, my entire life, I've hated goggles up until this season where, you know, it's mandatory to wear a mask. So if you're wearing yeah. shades, they fog up and it's like yep. oh. even more difficult. So I was forced, essentially forced to wear goggles this season. And now I've kind of like transitioned into not loving goggles, but being able to like manage and ride with, with them. But the, the, the lack of peripheral and not being able to see your feet has killed me for like so many years. Yeah. And even dude, rails is the, is the hardest thing I can backcountry, whatever, no big deal. But when like doing lip slides, for example, doing a lip slide or a back lip on a, on a rail and not being able to see my feet, I get, I get caught up. My tail catches the rail like 50% of the time. You know what I mean? You get that tap and you feel that ding, like right as you're popping on, but with sunglasses, it never happens. But whenever I have goggles on, I, I have this, I can't see my feet. And for some reason, I, and I'm so jealous of guys that can wear goggles, you know, on a sunny day, I'm like, oh, that'd be, it would cover so much more of my face. 
it makes more sense to have goggles on and I've just never been able to do it. I've always been a sunglass guy. Dude, I totally, I know, I know it, man. It's like, I feel like it's kind of like driving a car, but like looking like a mile in front of you, you know? You yeah. Can't, you just can't. can't I've even <laughs> taken the advice of other writers that are like, oh, dude, look at the end of the rail. Why are you looking at your feet, Brandon? You should be looking at the end of the rail. I'm like, well, sorry. I'm an old dog that does not learn new tricks. Like, this is the way that I learned it. I learned rails on a skateboard. I didn't learn them on a snowboard. I learned, I, I hit handrails on skateboards long before I ever, before, I mean, rails on a snowboard didn't even exist yet when I was doing them on a skateboard. It was trees, you know, and like bent over trees that you had to sand down in the summertime or benches, part, uh, some good natural was, jibs. Yeah, natural jibs and park benches. That was like, oh, those were the original rails. And then um, the first real rails that we hit were, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been to, uh, I know Emily's been to Utah, but Utah is like a playground. It's it's made it's like salt like northern Utah was designed by snowboarders. The rails are amazing everywhere. So USU Utah State University is built on the top of a hill, and um, the backside of the university is this awesome hill where they set up for sledding for kids all winter long. It's set up for sledding. They even put hay bales at the bottom of the hill because there's a road at the bottom that so you can sled down. Um, and there's, man, I think it's like 10 sets of 14 stairs, 10 sets of 14 stairs with perfect rails going down every single one. It's set up like, like no snowboard park you've ever seen. And not only the rails down the middle of the stairs, they're on the sides also. So when you're the first time you're learning, you can come from the grass, which is covered in snow and then pop on until you get comfortable going down that center rail down the center of the stairs. But it was, those were some of the first rails that ever hit. They, they weren't even in parks yet, but ski resorts. Oh, this is a fun one to touch on ski resorts. My local resort where I learned to snowboard Beaver mountain, um, we had two runs that we were allowed to ride. We were allowed to ride a, a run called the Ridge and uh, another run called Little Beaver. That's it. You couldn't ride the whole mountain. You weren't allowed to. Uh, so uh, Alta to this day, you can't snowboard at. There was most ski resorts back in the 90s. They only let you ride on specific runs only. And then there was one ski resort that was ahead of everybody else. It, it's now Park City. Prior to Park City, it was called the Canyons. Prior to the Canyons, it was called Wolf Mountain. And Wolf Mountain was the first mountain to bring in like jumps, rails, actually build a terrain park for snowboarders. And it was so huge. So that was like, everybody wanted to go. Everyone was flying in from different states to go to Wolf Mountain because they were, they were ahead of the curve with everybody with building different types of rails and setting them up jumps and jumps to rails and gaps and jibs and park benches and, and things like that in the park. And they were, they were what bear mountain is now back in 94. So they were, they were amazing. And again, then they turned to the canyons and now, now it's just park city. They're all one, one resort now. Uh, Dude, that is a, uh... You're going to say your, you know, the story of your career is, is pretty awesome. You know, starting off with throwing on some Sorrells, riding a board that doesn't fit, kind of falling in love with it, traveling around and, and, you know, going to gymnastics to, to learn um, that air awareness and like progression and then kind of moving around and, and, you know, riding with some of the most prolific uh, snowboarders around is, 
It's awesome. It's really awesome to hear. It's re- it was really awesome. Some again that you just hit on the head. The, the most, the coolest thing was riding with your heroes. When you get to mm-hmm. see those guys, it's like it's like being in a band and getting to open up for your favorite band. You know, I got to like when I was in a metal band, we we got to do this big charity show um, at the Whiskey way back in the early two thousands, and um, the headliner was Tenacious D. And which I am a diehard Jack Black fan. I love comedy in general. And I got to meet Jack Black. And it was like the greatest day of my life. And this with snowboarding was the same thing. Going to contests and seeing names that you, you know, you saw on a snowboard video. I don't know how how relevant snowboard videos are now, but back when I was growing up, snowboard videos were that was the thing. Um, we would Morn Miller used to make ski ski videos a long time ago. And then slowly but surely they would have snowboarders on those ski videos. And that was, they were in theaters. Like you looked forward to that. There was no YouTube back then or Instagram or Facebook. Like social media didn't exist. The internet wasn't even a thing. I typed papers in high school on a typewriter. No joke. <laughs> so uh, not, to, not to age myself too much, but I just say that because like every, every the beginning of every winter started with a new Warren Miller movie. And that's, you look forward to that. You knew in October, November, like, ooh, ski season's coming. Like, you're so excited. It's fall. And like, oh man, I can't wait to see this Warren Miller movie. And it would be in a theater and you'd wait because they would only they'd have limited seating. Yep. And so you knew like, okay, they've only got 50 seats and you'd, we'd wait. We'd sit outside in the cold, in, in, sometimes in the snow, if it snowed in November. And we'd sit out there for like four hours in line just to, just to get inside to watch this new ski movie that came out and, and hope that at the end of it, you could buy like a VHS tape so you could watch it again. And, and, and then, you know, Mac dog came out and Mac dog just blew everybody out of the water with snowboard videos. And um, those were, those were like the most prolific thing I, in my opinion, to happen to snowboarding. Once you could like, that was all that it was about. It wasn't about skiing with some snowboarding. It wasn't like a, a movie about this. It wasn't the snowboarders, the bad guys anymore. Now it was just these movies that were all about snowboarding and, and, and seeing different places. All of a sudden you watch this movie. And again, this is pre YouTube. A lot of people don't understand like the, what the world was like before that. It was like, you didn't know um, like places to ride other than your local mountains. So now you'd watch and be like, Oh my gosh, like, like that's what it's like in Vermont. Like, oh, wow, those are rails. Like, that's what the guys are doing in in Vermont. They're hitting rail. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, in Quebec, like, in Canada, they're, they're doing this. In Washington, they're doing that. Like, oh, my gosh, I got to gotta, I gotta get to Salt Lake. And then from Salt Lake, we got to go to Jackson Hole. And then, man, we got to get over here and we got to film there. And then I think that was when, like, all the Norwegians really started to come to the States because they saw that. Once Dogger was putting those videos out, all the Norwegians were like, oh, my gosh, we got to get to, we got to get to the U.S. We got to get to Salt Lake and go to the rail gardens. And, and where JP and, and Jeremy are and like, we got to get out there and, and then those guys progressed the sport like crazy. The Norwegians were amazing. When they came out, Americans were um, in that day and age still had that mentality because we've been so beat up by skiers and, and beat, not beat up, but like beat down that we were the lesser, the lesser species on the mountain. And that we were, so you had guys like Sean Palmer that just F the world and F skiers and F this and that, and blah, blah, blah. Like we'll just be rebels with Mohawks. And, and if you, if you're going to make us monsters, we're going to be monsters. 
and uh, Creatures of Habit videos. Those were the best. Um, I got to be in a couple of Creatures of Habit videos. They made really, they were like a dirt bike company that made snowboard videos. And, and then uh, when the, the Euros started coming out to the States and riding here and competing, and they had a totally different style and they listened to different music. They brought techno, like this techno music to the, to the stage. And it was all about fun riding and they were kind of silly and it changed snowboarding. It went from us being like these rebel bad guys to, oh, you can be silly. You can be silly and fun and wear bright colors. And, um, and they made fun of themselves. So uh, all the American riders, we would make fun of them because they would wear their shoot. I don't have any gear right here. They would wear, I'm sure you've seen it where they'd have their beanies. They'd wear their beanies back all the way like this. And then they'd wear their goggles here. So they, their forehead would be showing and they'd always get these sunburns on their forehead and we call it the Euro gap. Oh, and that's what that was. It was called the Euro gap and they knew it and it was derogatory. We were making fun of them. So they put out a movie called Euro gap and it was like, and it was Terrier and like all these guys that were the best writers in the world. And they just came out saying like, Hey, go ahead and make fun of us. We'll make fun of ourselves and just showed how much better of writers they were than we were and just changed snowboarding at like completely. And then you saw the whole, then it was like, oh, cool. We can wear bright colors and we can wear silly stuff and, and, and have fun with ourselves. But, and, and, and it brought this whole new era of snowboarding in the mid nineties. That was just awesome. Those guys were so cool. I still think they're cool to this day. Terry was when he made, um, I don't know if he gets credit for it with the younger generation, but Terry Hawkinson was created snowboard tricks. Like how uh, if, if you skateboard at all, there's um, Roddy Mullen. Like Roddy Mullen invented the kickflip. Mm -hmm. He invented the hard flip, the 360 flip, like before anybody else did, he brought it to the table. Terry was that guy. I remember seeing like he, he put out a, a video, Volcom um, put a movie out with just him he had a couple i don't remember which came out before the other but it was the hawken subject topic hawkinson and then the hawken factor and it was the first time anyone had seen a backside rodeo and he was doing in the backcountry and you're like what the heck was that like was that a a backside three and we didn't have a name for it yet so we called it a 90 roll before it was a backside rodeo it was called a 90 roll and it was so cool like how do you get your body to do that and so then, and you see, you saw him do that and then switch tricks. No one cared about switch tricks prior to, prior to Terrier. And all of a sudden he was like doing switch back rodeos and switch and like cab trick. And like, oh, you can, you should be, we should be doing stuff the other direction. Like what the, when, when did that start? And so those guys, I, I, I don't, again, I don't know with the younger generation, if they, they get credit that they deserve for really turning snowboard around, but they snowboarding as a whole around, but those guys were amazing. It was so fun to watch that and see those videos come out. And immediately like that video dropped and you're like, oh my gosh, we gotta go build a jump. Like we gotta go build a jump today. I, I've never tried that trick before. I gotta figure out how the heck to do that. You get on a trampoline, get you sneak into people's backyards. I didn't have a trampoline. We, I grew up super poor. So we <laughs> would sneak into people's backyards in Utah. It was great. A little fun fact. Um, uh, Mormons are the most awesome human beings on the planet. I'm not Mormon. I'm not LDS, but I will, I'll, I would stand in a court of law with my hand on a Bible and say that they are the nicest people in the world. Um, and habitually every Sunday they go to church 
And because we knew that, they all own trampolines. So <laughs> every we he's not lying. Just like skateboarding, where you know you knew when people like like oh, there's a house for sale. Like cool, there's an empty pool in the backyard. We can skate that pool. We knew Sundays was the day that we would poach trampolines in people's backyards, and you'd get on your snowboard and like and jump on their trampoline, like try to learn like okay, what the heck is this ninety roll? Like how do you get come over your shoulder like that and figure out how to throw your front knee over your back shoulder so you could get that thing around. And uh, it was a lot of fun, but th those, those videos were, were a game changer. So it's so cool. I mean, now if we would have had Instagram back in the nineties that we have now that I see Marcus Cleveland coming out with new knuckle tricks every day. And that <laughs> like, it would have been, it would have been a game changer. So it's, it's really cool. Nowadays, I think that because of YouTube and Instagram and social media, that the sport was able to progress to this ludicrous level now, quad corks. Like, pfft, I don't even know what that is. Yeah. It's so silly. No, it's great. And it's, and it's really cool to hear the story of, you know, the early stages of progression within the sport and kind of like, I mean, because you were, you were part of the group that paved the way for the, the generation now and kind of like where the sport is and, and where it's come from. And I think just hearing that from you is, is pretty sick. Oh, thanks, Nate. I appreciate that, man. You made me blush. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, again, when you were saying about those those snowboard movies, like I grew up watching Mac Dog and like Oh, good. I've, you know it then. Oh, I know it. And I actually met up with um with Dogger a couple weeks ago at Boreal to film a No movie. way. It was I mean, it was like I was in awe, you know, like he was definitely I spent my whole childhood watching his early movies, you know, like True Life and The Resistance. And, yep. and I probably watched those 500 times each, like not exaggerating at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I met up with him for two days in a row and did some filming and like was just no like, way picking his brain. And he's the nicest dude. He's I am so stoked to hear that, man. I haven't seen him since probably 99 or 2000. Yeah. And I was I'm always curious whatever happened to him. Because there's, I mean, those videos aren't really around anymore. So like, is he still in the industry? Did he just retire and doing family life? So I mean, later to hear that he's still, he's still do, filming. Yeah. He's, he's crushing it. He's, and oh, he's so whatever it is that he's doing, he's stoked on and he's, you know, keeping it, keeping it alive for sure. Oh man. I can't wait to see that footage then, man. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Me too, to be honest, but hopefully it, uh, hopefully it drops soon. Nice. Um, so I wanted to, uh, so, so currently you're, you're living in SoCal. That's correct. Yeah. I live and in Orange you, County. You know, that, that story of you kind of jumping over the hurdle, getting back into snowboarding and like rekindling the love of it. Um, are you, you're, you're still snowboarding today, correct? Correct. Yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I shattered my, my foot, uh, the beginning of December. So my second day on the hill this season, I shattered my foot cause I, uh, uh, I'm not a spring chicken anymore. Apparently it was my, my body's way of telling me, Hey man, you're old. You can't, <laughs> you can't overshoot jumps anymore. Like you can't land in the flats. Your body can't handle it. So that was a, yeah. that was a big uh, eye opener. Oh, I know the feeling. Are you, so are you, are you riding a bear primarily? Yeah, I ride. Uh, I generally ride bear and summit twice a week, usually Mondays and Fridays. Uh, ride, I ride at bear. And then I go to mammoth, once a month 
I get a trip up to Mammoth. I'm a dad, so uh, I ride with my daughter now, and she's nine. She's uh, my little prodigy. I absolutely love riding with her, and she's so much fun, and she loves Mammoth. So she doesn't love Bear. It's a little too chaotic there for her. Um, too many people whipping in and out and, and out of control. I, I know you know that if you, anybody that's ridden a Bear, it's, it oh. is chaos. So uh, she doesn't love Bear and, and Summit, but loves Mammoth. Uh, it's her it's her happy place so we we try to get to mammoth um, at least once a month for if, we, if we're going to make that drive it's about a six hour drive for us uh we go for about usually about five days uh and try again try to go once a month and, and ride with her and that's that's so much fun man dude that's awesome mammoth is really cool um i wanted to ask you you know you were from my understanding you were riding at bear in its heyday when you know yeah. they they started uh, maybe even prior to the Sunday in the parks and where kind of all of these major uh, riders came up and kind of made a name for themselves. What uh, have you seen? What are some of the major changes, uh, if any, that you've noticed over at Bear throughout the years? Okay, so here's the, the biggest change that I'm not sure if anyone knows. Back, so back in the Dogger days, um, when we do Nixon Jib Fest and all those fun contests and stuff, those were all at Snow Summit. So a lot of people don't don't know that prior uh, back back then back in the early days, Summit and Bear were totally separate. They weren't owned by the same people. They were completely different mountains, and all all the park riding was at Snow Summit. We didn't ride Bear. Bear was mostly skiers, and all the snowboarders went to Snow Summit. All the contests were at Summit, etc. And um, with that, even there's, gosh, there's an old video game that we used to play that had, had uh, Westridge. Westridge is the park run at Snow Summit in the video game um, that came out in the, in the mid nineties. And we would sit all night long when we weren't riding and playing this game. And like, this is how we're going to ride Westridge tomorrow. So <laughs> they were separate mountains and they were, it was, so we only rode a summit. We didn't ride a bear ever. And it was so much fun. And what was so cool about it back then was they built what they called Super Park. And in order to ride at Super Park, you had to have a Super Park pass. So you had to have credentials in order to ride this park. That run is now called Ego Trip at Snow Summit. Um, it's right, so the main the main chair that goes to the top of where you would ride Westridge or whatever, the, the main chair at Summit. When you get to the top, that first run that's right underneath the chair that has its own little uh, chairlift, the little two-seater, it's called Ego Trip that was super park and they had it all roped off and they actually had a little shack and you had to go through these um uh, like metal rails and they had, you had to show your super park pass to ride in there and it was for only for like pro riders only like you so what was good about that is it wasn't the chaos that i was saying the bear has now you mm -hmm. didn't have people sitting on the knuckle of the jump or, or, or literally sitting on a rail on their cell phone, taking a selfie. You didn't have that because it was only riders trying to progress. And, and you would go there and just people were, again, coming, the euros were coming in. Um, oh gosh, it was so fun seeing that, that the forum, you know, the forum crew back then. And, uh, and even everybody that, that, that I was riding with, we were the, the pink death crew, which was, uh, Myself, Johnny Herrick, uh, Nima Jalali, um, Jesse White, Sean's older, Sean White's older brother, Jesse, was one of my best friends growing up. Um, Luke McMaster. We had this 
this crew, the pink death crew. And we wore like, I wore like a pink bandana. I had long hair, like down to here, pink bandana. Uh, Nemo where like I have, there's a video, there's an old snowboard movie that's called uh, When the Small Bus Kids Attack or something like that. And it's all, the whole pink death crew is in there. We're wearing leather jackets and jean jackets and bandanas and like tight women, women's pants, like snowboard pants or jeans. And it was so fun to bring that crew because um, we were the Southern California guys, like locals there. And then all with all the Euro dudes wearing super baggy, especially like, like I said, the forum crew, special blend and, and four square, like the pants couldn't be any bigger. The jackets went down to your knees. And there was this juxtaposition of, of the baggy and the skinny and, and, and looking back on it, there was, you know, people would always say there was a rivalry. There was no rivalry. We all loved each other. It was all in fun, but it was, it was cool that we were different and we weren't all, we all didn't look the same. Um, but you just see guys just throwing down so heavy. It was so heavy back then and trying new things that had never been done before. And, and that was the park where they would set stuff up. So it was the first park where they, they would build like a kicker, like a crazy kicker with a rail on the landing and you couldn't see the rail. And you had guys, I remember Yanni Malmi back then. Yanni was like the first one to try. He was trying backside rodeos onto the rail and just ragdolling. I Docker <laughs> got it on film. It was there. There's a video somewhere. Uh, on one of those films, like in the rec session where he's literally like, just keeps trying it and just ragdolling down the rail, like kept trying to do, he was like, I, I've got to be the first one to do a backside rodeo onto a rail. Like it had never been done before that. And he just kept trying all day. And, but that's the kind of stuff you would see there. You'd see this crazy progression. It's where Sean learned um, uh, back rodeo sevens. He had never done one off of a jump. He'd only ever done one in a pipe. I think he was like, Sean was like 13 or 14 years old at the time. He was super young and uh, he, was, he was riding with Jesse and I, and we were trying to show him like, okay, here's what you need to do on the jump. When you come off again, like I said earlier, like throw your front knee over your back shoulder and, and grab, grab melon and it's going to bring it around. And, and we were trying to teach him how to do back rodeo fives actually. And he'd never done a backside rodeo outside of the pipe off of a, off of an actual jump. And first try so we uh jesse dropped jesse dropped in did one uh sean dropped and first try went back rodeo seven like landed sweet spot stomped it and stomped it and rode away sprayed jesse and i was like you got to be kidding me and we were trying to teach him back rodeo five so like i have to drop in after that so i dropped in after him went back and i went back rodeo like seven stomp and then sprayed him. But it was, that kid was such a prodigy. We knew when he was like 12 years old, like this is, this kid is the greatest snowboarder other than Terry, like of all time. Like he's just, everything he did was flawless. And he was, you didn't want to be around him if he lost a contest though. I don't know about to this day, but back then if he, if he lost, if he didn't get first, you didn't want to be around him. It was going to be a bad night. You were going to get covered in, covered in baby powder. Uh, your head gets shaved when you were asleep. Like we was, it was bad news bears. But if you won, everybody went out to eat. And it was all on, like, like it was, it was, that would be really fun. If you won a contest, it was like, sushi's on Sean. Like we're all going out to eat. It's on for everybody. So that was always fun. And luckily he won a lot. So that was pretty yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, you kind of need that drive, you know. He's definitely, it shows yeah. that he really, you know, he's not taking it, uh, he's taking it serious and it's not a joke to him. And, and I think that ultimately is why he, you know, is, was one of the best uh, pipe riders in the world. Yeah, and there's a different mentality. There's those guys that just have that drive. Um, again, riding, I, I, growing up, there was, I'll never forget a kid in 99, 99 or 2000, I lived, when I was living in Truckee, there was a kid that worked, uh, he was a chairlift operator at Squaw. And this dude, and I know Arrow, Arrow gets credit for the first double backside rodeo, right? Everyone knows that Oakley made that documentary, uh, blah, blah, blah. This dude was doing double backside rodeos, double corks, etc., at Squaw's Park in 99 i knew this dude but he had zero drive he didn't want to compete he didn't care about sponsors he didn't care about anything but when you rode with him you're like dude you're you're next level you're so far ahead of everybody else in the game like you could be and he's just like he didn't want to be in the spotlight ever he didn't even like when you told him that he was amazing he's like oh no, 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 shut up shut up he didn't even like compliments and i don't even remember his name i don't remember the dude's name i just remember uh, I remember if I saw him, I would recognize him, but he was just a chairlift operator and like lived in an apartment with like four other dudes and, and no one to this day knows his name. And I guarantee he was stomping tricks that, that other people get credit for now before those other people that are getting credit for it, did it. He was so amazed, but he just didn't want to be in the spotlight. Didn't be that. So there's that now Sean's does well, you know, yeah. Sean's got a Lamborghini in the garage. So there's different, <laughs> there's different mentalities with any sport, you know, that, that you've got those people that, that drive, that you're just driving, 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 like try so hard and, and get out there and put themselves out there and, and make a career out of it. And then you got the people that don't want the spotlight that, you know, could have and could have been very successful, but just would rather not, not be in the fashion. Show their face. Do it, for, do it for the love of the sport. Yeah. <clears throat> Unfortunately, the love of the sport can only go so long before you can't, afford to do it anymore or you have you end up like oh man i can't do it anymore because now i gotta work i gotta work 50 yeah. hour work weeks to do x y and z and so that's the only bummer of it totally yeah and it, or you know your body starts uh yeah your body gets breaking down in a way deteriorating i wanted to i wanted to ask you you know what's your uh you know when it comes to riding what's your usual routine like do you stretch do you roll out the muscles um kind of what's your go-to before and after a, a full day of snowboarding Oh, now uh, minimum, minimum 30 minutes. If I can get an hour in, I'm, I'm stoked. Um, so a normal bear day for me, uh, I'm the first one in the parking lot. Uh, the, the bear guys will attest to that. Uh, some of the, one of the other, um, Lenny, Lenny Mazzotti is, is, is yeah. usually the second guy in the parking lot in the morning. Love that dude. He's got Lenny a ridiculous dead. work ethic, man. I awesome. absolutely love that kid. Um, he's an amazing rider and he's there every morning. He's like, again, like the second person in the parking lot at bear mountain. But yeah, I'm usually the first one there. Um, the mistake that I've said, I hate to give this secret away, but, um, I'm going to give away a, a secret to, to all the young bucks that get ready in their cars and in the parking lot. You don't have to do that. You can get ready inside the lodge. You don't have to do it where it's cold and there's snow on the ground and get your socks wet or in the back seat of someone's car trying to get your snowboard pants on. I get there in the morning. I have a, a big duffel bag 
that I have a foam roller in, my snowboard boots, all my gear. So I drive up the mountain in sweats, sweats in a hoodie. And then I grab my duffel bag. I leave my board in the car. I go into the lodge, uh, chairlifts open at nine. I get there at 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm there at 7.30. Uh, I go in the lodge when the lights aren't even on. I know where the light switches are. I go into Bear <laughs> I turn the lights on for the guys. I've been riding there for... Pff, 25 years so everybody knows me hey brandon what's going on oh good morning how have you been so <laughs> the, the, the 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 ladies that run the little coffee shop in that in the lodge and so so i go in i go up to where the bar is there i get my bag out i get my foam roller out i bust out my ipad i have a i have a membership to uh the beach body uh beach body app which is P90X, Insanity, like all those crazy workouts. I've done all of them. I've done P90X, Insanity, uh, uh, X30, Body Beast. I've done all those workouts. So I have a membership. Um, with that, you get unlimited videos. So I have, uh, I do the stretch video, the P90X3 stretch video. It's only like 15, 20 minutes long, but it's just stretching. It's a little bit of yoga, etc. I roll out everything. I do that full stretch video. I roll out quads, legs, calves, as much as I can. I have so many injuries that I can't not do it. And then I get ready in the lodge. So that way my body's warm, my muscles are warm, my joints joints are all warmed up. I put all my gear on right there in the bar of the lodge, get everything on, take my sweats and hoodie that I wore in there, throw them in my duffel bag, my foam roller in there, iPad in there. Um, I have a cup of coffee in the morning. That's it. I have about a, uh, usually a half a cup of black cold brew coffee, nothing in it. I fast. So I don't eat before I ride either. Keeps my energy level really high. And uh, then I go back to the car, throw the duffel bag in the car, grab my board. And I'm usually one of the first people in line. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll take a bottle of, uh, bottle of water with me out of my car. So I drink it on the chairlift ride up and I'll leave it at the top of the hill somewhere like in the snow to stay cold. So that way I can stay hydrated throughout the day. I don't take breaks when I ride. Uh, I start riding at 9 a.m. And I usually quit around 12, 1230, like just after noon. Uh, I don't take breaks. I don't stop. I don't eat. I don't, I don't drink. I don't ever drink alcohol when I'm, when I'm snowboarding. I know that's a big thing. Like, oh, cracking a beer and smoking a bowl in the parking lot for a lot of the young bucks out there. Uh, I don't do any of that. I like to have my head on my shoulders and, and really be, zoned in on what I'm doing. That's why the, the coffee helps with a little bit of caffeine, get that going. And I like to get a good fall in, in my first couple runs that usually wakes <laughs> my brain up. I don't mind falling in the morning, even though it sucks and it's hard packed, but sometimes I feel a little bit lackadaisical those first couple runs. And, and the, that first fall gets the adrenaline going and you're like, Oh, okay, here we go. Shake it off, shake it off. And let's, let's get the day going. Um, yeah. And I ride till 12, 1230. As soon as my muscles start to atrophy and I start to feel tired, I call it a day. I yeah. uh, found that I've had way too many injuries. Once the snow turns into mashed potatoes, once I start to get tired is when you're spinning off a jump. And then on that landing, you heel hook because mm-hmm. you just didn't dig that edge in because you're tired and you're starting to get lazy. So uh, as soon as my body starts to uh, exhaust, I, I call it a day. And then I, I, and then I can beat traffic too on the way home. So I can, I jam down the hill, but I try to get off of, off the hill by 1230 and, uh, I can get home in about an hour and a half, two hours. And I do that at least twice a week, all winter. 
No, that's good. It's smart to do it before the fatigue settles in, you know, get out of there while your body's still feeling good. Yeah. And it's, you know, when you've got a powder day, there's always different days. You know, there's those mammoth days are a little different where I may put in an eight hour day because it's just, you're not going to, I'm not going to miss out on that, but on a, just a normal day to day basis. But, but touching on what you were asking, Nate. Yeah. I, I stretch like crazy. Yeah. Uh, have to now uh, my, my body doesn't work without it. I've got, you know, hardware in, in different areas. So if I don't stretch before I can't move um, or, or you hit a giant, you're, you're reaching for it. Uh, reaching for a grab and you're like, oh, I can't reach my board right now. A little tweak. <laughs> yeah. There's a funny picture that the Mountain Vibes posted a couple of years ago when we went to, we did that Colorado trip and we were hitting that tree, that, that pole jam. There was just a tree in the back country and I was hitting it and doing like backside threes and backside five double, double nose grab. And there's a picture of the first time that I did it because I didn't, I wasn't warmed up yet. And I'm, um, I'm hitting it and you can see me reaching for my nose with both hands and I can't reach it. And that was like the caption, like, I guess I should probably listen to Joe Rogan and start doing yoga because I can't, can't reach my nose anymore. I remember that. Yeah. You sound like you've got your, your routine right now dialed, you know? Yeah. The workout is huge. Yeah. And I'm sure the body really appreciates, uh, appreciates all that stretching to it, you know? Yeah. No, no one likes to be all tight, especially given the injury history and everything, you know? Yeah. And it's, again, it's different as you get older. You know, when, when I was young, I didn't do that a lot. I didn't stretch a lot. Um, I didn't spend a lot. I didn't care as much. Um, you know, a lot of times riding on a hangover. Uh, I know Torstein is, is notorious for putting that out there that like, oh yeah, I usually <laughs> the majority of the contests that I've won, I've been hung over from partying too late the night before. And like, you can do it when you're young. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, I, I don't, I don't drink enough to, uh, to get drunk anymore, but, but a hangover lasts a lot longer than, than it, yeah. than it would when I was younger. It, it takes about two, three days to recover from a hangover now. So I don't even, I don't even go there. Smart man. Too dangerous, but I see it. I see the kids, see the young bucks in the, in the parking lot at high Mount high and a bear and at summit. Um, not so much at mammoth, but, uh, the, but definitely a bear again, 8 a.m. in the morning when I'm throwing or, you know, I'm throwing my duffel bag back in the car and getting my board. And I see the guys with their music cranked up and they're smoking a joint and drinking a beer at that, that early in the morning. And I just look, and then I feel old. That makes me feel older than anything. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like gosh, young whippersnappers. Like you don't even know what you're doing. This is the, <laughs> what are you doing with here? Why are you doing that? These young degenerates <laughs> in the parking lot. Yeah. For a disaster at that point, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And again, I'm sure that all that stretching and all of the stuff that you do before you ride has definitely helped your body uh, stay preserved over the years and allows you to continue riding. And with that being said, we did hear, of course, we know that you did suffer some uh, pretty major injury this year at the beginning of this year. So uh, go ahead and tell us for all the listeners who don't know what exactly happened to you. All right. So um, December 4th, second day on the hill for me, uh, early season, Bear Mountain, not a, not a lot of coverage, very thin coverage, as we all know, wasn't a wasn't a, a big snow year. So um, I was hitting the the hip that's in the gulch. We were, we were not hitting it as a hip. We were tabling it and overshooting to the other side. 
Um, where I landed, didn't have enough coverage yet. It wasn't a landing technically. So um, I came in really hot. Uh, I don't know, you know, 60 miles per hour. So I came in as, as fast as I could physically go, lobbed it to the other side where, where I landed. Uh, I just came down super tail heavy, uh, stomped my back foot down. My right foot is my back foot. I'm regular footed. And um, I landed, I immediately felt like a shock go through my right leg. Um, I didn't wreck, surprisingly enough, didn't wreck, but felt it as soon as my feet hit the ground and uh, pulled to my back edge, tried to move to the side side of the run to get out of the way and hollered over to the group of guys that I was riding with, gave them the, the neck cut, like, hey, I'm, I'm down, I'm down, something's bad. And they all ran over, unstrapped me. And again, you never know how bad an injury is at first, you have adrenaline going, et cetera. We were laughing. There's a bunch of pictures of it and, and I'm sure video footage that ended up online of me laughing and, and, and joking around and ski patrol came down and we pulled, got my board off, pulled my boot off. My foot was curled into this weird position that I'd never seen before. And I'm like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't look promising, but again, wasn't sure how bad it was. It was painful, um, but tolerable enough that I could laugh with everybody and, and pose for, for pictures and ended up going down in the sled with ski patrol, took me down, um, gave me an ice pack, did a quick report. Uh, my buddies carried me back to my car, helped me get my gear off, jumped in the car. Unfortunately, it was my right foot. So um, I had to drive down the hill. I, I, I drive up to bear by myself because I like to get up at 5 a.m. And, and get up there early. Nobody else likes to do that. So I, I usually roll solo and just meet everybody up the hill. So I, I drove myself home with my left foot. Um, thank God I, I drive a Subaru with paddle, paddle shifters. So driving down the hill was easy. I just paddle shift the whole way down. And then once I got on the freeway, I, I worked my way into the carpool lane by myself uh, so that I didn't have to slammed my brakes on in traffic, et cetera. Uh, called my wife and said, hey, we were, so this happened on a Friday and we were supposed to leave Saturday for Mammoth for nine days. So front door of my house was all of our luggage, everything packed, the whole, all, the whole family's stuff was by the front door, already ready to go. I just oh, wanted no. to get on the hill with, by myself with my friends before we, you know, whole family at Mammoth for the next nine days. Um, so I called my wife on my, on my, once I got to the freeway, hey, make, call right now, get me an appointment right now for an x-ray. Um, I, I, I wrecked and I'm not, I'm not sure how bad it is, but before we cancel mammoth, I want to know how bad it is. I don't know if it's a nasty heel bruise, you know, again, growing up skateboarding, falling down, you know, a 15 set of stairs, you get heel bruises all the time. And it just, it sucks. It's painful, but you can skateboard again a couple weeks later. So I didn't, I didn't know how bad the injury was. So she made me an appointment with the x-ray tech, jammed down, drove straight home, pulled into the driveway. She jumped in the car, drove straight over, got an x-ray. Um, doctor came back to me and saying that you have a, a broken calcaneus, which is your heel. It's the largest bone in your foot. Um, it's where all of your, the blood flow runs into your foot. So your femoral artery and your femur obviously runs down into your foot. It runs into your calcaneus from your talus and your calcaneus and then distributes from there. It's a really bad bone to break. Um, yeah. Wow. The, yeah. The, uh, so said it was told me it was broken, but x-rays only show so much. So I didn't know how bad it really was. At that point we canceled our mammoth, mammoth trip. 
unfortunately, and made an appointment with my podiatrist and uh, jammed in Monday morning, first thing to see him, looked at the x-rays, saw multiple breaks, but again, with x-rays, you can only see what you can see with an x-ray. So uh, jammed over to get a CT scan, got the CT scan and the, the guy that did the CT scan came out laughing. And I was like, dude, how bad is it, bro? And he's like, dude, it looks like a bag of marbles. He's like, it's the worst. It's the oh. oh my goodness. Oh, fantastic. That's, that's, that's the last thing you want to hear. You want to hear it's a clean break <laughs> yeah, exactly. a fracture. You know, you're going to be back on your feet in a month. That's what you want to hear. And he's like, no, dude, it's a bag of marbles. Your foot is, is done. I'm like, oh, oh fantastic. So jammed, but the CT scans back over to my, my, uh, my podiatrist, he's an orthopedic surgeon. And we sat down and looked at it and he pulled it up and it was, it was funny to look at. It didn't look, it literally, I have them. I, I think I, oh, you know what? I'll, I'll repost it. I posted it on my Instagram, but I put it into my story or, or it might be on there somewhere. It might be in there, but uh, the CT scan literally looked like you could see the outline of my foot and then where your heel is, which is one bone was lit, like, it looked like a bag of marbles. It was just shattered into a ton of pieces. So we, uh, uh, you know, got everything together to have surgery, had surgery that, that Friday, um, supposed to be a two hour surgery, ended up six hours long. They, they cut my foot open, uh, basically down my, down my ankle and then across the whole side of my foot. Um, doctor went in, took, pulled the bones out, took basically all the bones out of my foot, put them on a table, put this crazy thing that looked like a, uh, looked like something from, Legos or like Tinker toys, like in there, this weird looking titanium plate and then put each bone back in individually. So we put a bone in, put a screw in it, put another bone in, put a screw in it, put another bone in, put a screw in it, and then rebuilt my foot. Um, and that was that. Then I couldn't, you know, uh, they told me like, Hey, this is, this is pretty bad. Um, you're going to have arthritis the rest of your life. Even the way we rebuilt this, it's, it's not going to be good for from now on period. We're going to do our best to get you back on your feet to be able to walk again. So that's always scary to hear. Uh, they said, mate, we'll, we're going to, you know, try to have you potentially walking again by summer, June, July, you should be able to walk again. So your, your winter's gone. Silver season's gone, et cetera. Um, which is always heartbreaking to hear more, more so to tell the family that was uh, that's the hardest part for me. It's like, Oh, it sucks. But to go home and have to tell my daughter that her, her snowboard season's done because dad can't ride is that's heartbreaking. And hey, ma'am, it's canceled. This is canceled. There's I, I I couldn't drive. I couldn't have my I couldn't have my foot below my waistline for about two months. For the first few weeks, I had a drain. Uh, again, that that bone is where all the blood comes into your foot and then redistributes back up through your leg. So I had to have a drain in my foot. So instead of having a hard cast, I had a soft cast with this tube coming out of it that uh, had this like bubble that would fill with blood. And my, my wife had to change it out like three times a day and track how much blood was in it to give back. She's to the a keeper. Oh, she's yeah, amazing. trooper. Amazing. And the, the, the funniest part about it, my wife hates feet. She's that's like one of those things that she can't stand. And oh, yet, no. now to this day, the things you do for the people that. you love. Right? That's it, <laughs> It's amazing what you go through in a, in a long relationship. But she has to... Some days she has to actually like move my foot for me and put, um, not icy hot, but we use, uh, man, this stuff that's kind of like, like this cream stuff that we have to put on my ankle and move it constantly. We have to constantly like rub and massage the scar. And, uh, she does that for me all the time. 
she took care of me the first, the first month, especially I couldn't move. I was bedridden. I had kept my foot above my waist, even getting up to use the restroom was difficult. So she literally had to take care of me, Every, food, anything. I couldn't move. I couldn't get out of bed. So that was huge. Um, having somebody to help is, is insane. I don't know what I would have done, honestly. If, if I didn't have her here to help me and do that, I honestly don't know what I would have done. Um, I shattered my left leg. Uh, that was my, my original one that I told you guys about earlier that, that took me out. And at that point I had to, I had to move back in with my mom back then. I was, I think I was like 20 years old. I had to move back in with my mom because I had to have somebody take care of me. I couldn't do anything for, for myself for an extended period of time. So one of those things to really keep in mind when you're competing and snowboarding and doing silly stuff with anything like, holy cow, if I get hurt, who is going to take care of me? Because you can't take care of yourself physically. There's, there's nothing you can do. So one of those really things to always uh, have on the, on, on the back burner to think about. That's yeah, really, definitely having a support system really helps in those types of situations. It's huge. I have, um, and it's also like weird to look back at now. Like look at back at old injuries. I had a really bad TBI uh, in Jackson Hole in like '98 um, Vans contest, where I overshot a jump, landed on my noggin, and with the helmet broke the helmet, hit my head, ended up in a you know in a CAT scan in Jackson Hole, and calling the family from you know doctors calling your family from there that would, couldn't do anything. I was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and everyone was in California, and. Uh, they had like, Hey, your son hit his head. He's got internal bleeding on the left side of his brain. And, uh, we don't know if he's going to pull through. And that's one of those things, again, that now being a dad, like, Holy crap. I, I can't imagine the, what I put my family through all those years of riding and competing and traveling. And, oh, I got a broken this now and a broken that now. And I'm in, Oh, and Brandon's in this state, you know, he's in Colorado and just shattered four ribs and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how are we going to get him home? and etc and um it's wild to think of that you don't think about those things until you you be you're put in the position like being a dad now uh snowboarding with my daughter when i see her fall and like holy crap like oh my gosh like you don't know what to do i saw my my daughter overshot a a little small jump at mammoth uh, two seasons ago and um i was behind her and she beelined into a jump without speed checking and overshot it went into the back seat, rolling the windows down and landed on her back flat, knocked the wind out of herself. She'd never knocked the wind out of herself. She was like seven years old at the time. She didn't know what knocking in the wind out of yourself meant or felt like. She just knew that she couldn't breathe. And oh, poor girl. I couldn't catch up. It was one of those things where I was, she was ahead of me and I saw her in the air and I'm like, oh, it was the scariest, scariest moment of my entire life um, above anything else. I mean, I've, I've been in cars that have flipped and rolled, hitting black ice and ended up in a creek. Scariest thing in the world is seeing a child, like your own kid, wreck on a, on anything. But th- this was snowboarding. She had the wind knocked out of her and trying to explain to her, okay, I need you to put your hands above your head. And I was, I'm crying like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, why would I, I'm so sorry. Uh-huh. I'm a terrible parent. Why would I let you get a job? Like, what did they What was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, what was I thinking? Why would I do <laughs> But uh, in you know, I totally got off subject there, but we're talking about injuries and, and now seeing like I can't imagine what you can't imagine what you you put other people through. And even with this injury, by my wife alone, my wife doesn't even snowboard, she's a skier. 
and doesn't even care that much about skiing. And then all of a sudden got put in a position where she had to take care of me, literally let baby me for two months where I couldn't take care of myself. So um, it's, it's, it's one of those things with extreme sports or any kind of sports that you, you don't think about it's there's a little bit of narcissism there that like, I love doing this. I like doing it. It's for me. And you don't think like, Oh shoot, but this uh, directly affects everybody around me without me even realizing that it, how much it does, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And thankfully, you know, you have a great support system that has been there for you through the, for those type of situations, you know, and them being there for you, like would, when these type of things happen, when you get hurt, when you're doing something you love, you know, like shows how much they care for you, you know what I mean? And how much you mean to them that they're willing to step in and help when you shouldn't have possibly been hurt or anything like that, you know? Yeah, but it's all, and it's also good. I mean, just for the community, the snowboard community out there, every, everybody has friends that gets hurt, that get hurt. You know, everybody knows like, oh yeah, my, my buddy so-and-so did, you know, broke this or broke that and they're out for X amount of time. And, and you don't realize um, some of those dudes, a lot of writers are guys that, you know, moved, moved to Colorado, moved to Salt Lake and they're solo and they get hurt and they're alone. And that depression is gnarly. You know, they have depression. So um, not to get, get on like a nasty subject or anything, but just one of those things to keep in mind um, when a buddy gets hurt, any, any friend gets, has an injury like that to just anything you can do to reach out to them. Like, you know, just even texting, calling, like dropping food off, like sending Grubhub, whatever, because they, that, that scenario sucks. And you go to a dark place really quick. And especially with, with most injuries they you know, they're going to give you narcotics. You're going to get some yeah. sort of pill, whether it's oxys or Norcos or whatever. And those things mess with your brain so bad. And you go to a dark place real quick. And, and, and I've seen a lot of friends go to, go to really dark places and, and get suicidal even because like, oh man, my, I got nothing now. Everything, my world is over. So just staying in community. That, that's why you have to be there for your friends. You know, yeah, everybody's got to support one another. I think that's a really big thing. And, and the reason I was going that direction was, I think that's a big thing for Mountain Vibes. Um, the community of Mountain Vibes is so huge. And there's so many people that are involved in mountain vibes and, and not just like, you know, social media followers, but the list of reps, you know, whenever I see that email with the list of reps and, and people that are involved um, that aren't pros, it's different when you're pro, you know, Mark McMorris gets, gets hurt. He's got a team. He's got Red Bull backing him, you know, or, or, or those guys, like they've got that, but you're, you're, you know, lone survivor writer that's out there. That's, that's part of, you know, a rep writer or something that, that doesn't have the support of huge sponsors may not have insurance, may not have that, you know, or, or anything like that. So being part of a community of like-minded people, I think is, in my opinion, the most important part of Mountain Vibes. I think that's the biggest thing is just having a community of, of people that have a similar interests and are at a level that's not a crazy level, you know, it's a lot of good writers, but it, you know, it's, um, and, and maybe even I like, I like seeing the, the, uh, on the mountain vibes feed, the, the people that aren't rippers that are pros. I love seeing the, like, like, dude, I just did my first lip slide, you know, or like, Oh, I 50, 50 and one eighty out. And you're like, yes, I'm stoked. Like I, I've watched that guy's progression for the last two seasons 
and and saw that you know i saw that that dude like i remember when he was just his first 50 50 like uh oh man rothy rothy's killing I, it i don't know if you remember this because you were there when i taught rothy how to do a back five yeah his very first backside 540 i've gotten his head and we did it and he was like it was dude that guy's energy when he's stoked is is contagious and he did his back, first backside 540 at Mountain High. We were all riding together. And I was so stoked for him. Like, okay, just get that three and then pull that foot. And he did it. And like, it was like fireworks went off like 4th of July. He was so elated. And then I just saw within the last two weeks. A couple days was, ago. Yeah. Yeah. That they like all clean back five, like the best back five I've seen him do. And I watched his progression to get there. And like, I was st- like, I teared up. When I saw it, like, yeah, dude, I'm so freaking stoked for that guy. And because uh, I know he's been in, you know, in and out of hospitals and et cetera, too. And he's got a, a lot of stuff going on personally. So I was just like, I, I was elated to see him stomp that and stomp it clean. And it's a, it's really cool to to be part of that community. I, and I get so excited when I see all those guys learning. And you couldn't have honestly said it better, Brandon, like just the idea of community of just mountain vibe itself, like building off one another and just creating that vibe for one another, like creating that stoke, you know, like you're just happy to see that when you're all, someone that you've been watching from like, they're just coming on as a rep or they've been trying to become a rep, like, you know, and you see that progression of them doing that trick or that they've been wanting to do or that they've never been able to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, and that's so rad. And then you leave the, you know, the comment section, dude, so stoked. I'm so stoked for you and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I live for that. I live for that. Cause you know, I, I follow snowboarder magazine, you know, snowboarder magazine. I've got, I still have communication and friends that are, that can quad cork and it's like, Oh, cool. Another triple. Yeah. I know you can do that. But when, when you see again, like someone that's been like, like just hammering it out and hammering it out and you see them land that and they're just so stoked. It's there's, there's a different feeling. Um, behind scene when you you know how hard someone's trying and how good that feeling is uh, for that person you're so stoked for them that um just doesn't translate to anything else with anything yeah. I mean, even in sports you know it's it, when you look at team sports you know my daughter plays soccer so you um i so i'm a soccer dad now but you see like like football basketball blah blah, blah team sports it's um you know you see someone make a hoop and you're like, Oh, neat. Someone, someone shot it. Everyone does it. But when you don't see the progression, it's not the same. When you see someone like trying, like, Oh, I've just never been able to shoot a three pointer and you know, their background. And then they finally get it. You're like, Oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. And that's how I feel about what, what mountain vibes has created is um, we know these people. There's a lot of people on mountain vibes that I've never met in person. You know, I've never met them in person, but I follow them. And then when I, again, when I see them, on there and I know that where, where they've been and there's, gosh, there's some people that I've met because of mountain vibes that I just love as human beings. Uh, I know there's a lot of us that, um, man, who's it? John Polio. Mm -hmm. JP. Dude. I love that guy as a human being. I met him. I got to meet him in Colorado. Um, again, I live in orange County. I'm at, I'm at sea level. And, um, a few years ago we flew up to Colorado and uh, Justin and I and, and uh, a couple other people. And um, I went from sea level 
flew out of Orange County, I think, and was at 11,000 foot elevation where we stayed in Sil Silverthorne um, yep. within like six hours. And so I, I got really bad altitude sickness, really bad. And I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. We got, we had uh, pulled up, we'd rented a truck and we were staying at like an Airbnb cabin. I pulled up in this truck and I, I was, I talk a lot, obviously you guys didn't see that. I talk, I was talking, I'm excited. And we just got to the cabin. We're in Colorado. We're going to go, you know, backcountry Loveland pass the next day. And so I got my board bag and, and my little travel suitcase and, uh, and we're walking over and there's like three sets of stairs to get up to where we were staying. And the first flight of stairs, I was like, Oh shoot. I don't, I don't, I don't feel so good. I'm feeling lightheaded. And then the next thing I know, I tried to get up the next set of stairs and I just out cold, bam, out on the stairs. And then a couple of people that we were with, I think, I think Kim was with us. And I think yep. Kim carried my bag for me. <laughs> I think Kim carried my bag up to the, the, the spot. And um, I, I like crawled up the stairs, like army cry, and then when I got on my feet, walked to the front door, put my hand on the knob. And when I went to twist the knob, passed out again, hallway, out. Oh, I know the and feeling. Then, uh, and then uh, got in, put myself away. And like, I just kept getting like dizzy. And then everybody went out to dinner that night. I'm going somewhere with the story, by the way. It's about John. And <laughs> we got to dinner. Now I had never met John. And we went to this, we went to this uh, restaurant where we had this big giant table and there's all the Colorado people were there. And I don't even remember how like 20 something people at this big table and I only knew, a, you know, I only met a couple of the people in person, you know, once or twice. And uh, I'd never met John before. I just met him there at dinner. I, I sat down. I was ghostly white and I had to have someone help me go to the bathroom. I went in the bathroom. I was throwing up in the bathroom and I came back and Justin was like, dude, you, you don't look good. And I'm like, man, I'm going to just try to make it, I'm trying to make it through this dinner, man. Like I, I can't breathe. I don't know what to do. And, uh, uh, John stepped up again, never met me before. Didn't know me at all. And was like, Hey man, we got to get you out of here. Um, he took me, we went to the, the local little grocery store, went in and got a couple oxygen tanks and some pills, like altitude pills. I just like literally, I think I ate them before I even paid for them. Like the oxygen pill, like started huffing out of these little oxygen tanks. And he, that dude took care of me, he took me back to the, back to the pad. Um, and stood by and missed the dinner. He missed the whole dinner, um, uh, hung out with me. Again, never met me before, didn't know anything. We got to, I got to, I got to know him and a little bit of his background. And we created like an awesome bond that weekend and got to hang out. I was only in Colorado, I think for like three days. And because of him doing that, getting me the oxygen, I was able to get some sleep, get those pills in me. The next morning we got up and we were able to go and hit Loveland Pass backcountry and, and had like one of the most fun days ever. And it, it was, it was a, a pivotal moment for me being the oldest guy on the trip. I'm older than Justin and, uh, <laughs> and being the oldest guy on the trip and like hanging, being able to hang with all the young guys and, and really feel a sense of community and being back to where I was 20 years prior, you know, that was what I was doing for a living 20 years before that. And now and that had just been like something of my past. And now all of a sudden I got to do this trip again and be around all these people and have fun and hiking and hitting backcountry jumps and jibs and uh, filming, et cetera. And it was, it was so much fun and it was so cool. But, you know, Jared said it best, like having a, um, 
if without John, I don't know what I would have done. Justin couldn't well, leave the restaurant. Like I, with, you know, having that community, like I would have just been, I would have had to have sucked it up or just laid on the bathroom floor on the tile in my own vomit, you know, if, if I, John helped me out and because of, because of that community, you know? Yeah, so. no. And, and thankfully John did that for you. You know, he took that initiative to go out of the way to help you with that. Cause you know, nobody likes to be sick or anything like that. Yeah. And overall, speaking about community, um, you've also been to a couple of, like the goodbye begins, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, we did yeah. The, that burrito. That was where I yeah, the you. one in Pajarito. Yeah, exactly, yeah, the one that yeah, we were that... both at. So I'm um, just curious. Uh, tell the listeners about your experience of taking out one of the kids and maybe uh, some of your insight on the charity events. Oh man, it was it's 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 a life changing thing. Uh, man, I, I, I feel like I'm a loss for words, which is weird being a chatterbox. Um, it's, it's so fun. And um, so what we did is we, we went to Pajarito mountain in New Mexico. I'd never heard of this mountain. You know, everyone knows Taos and, and that, but this little tiny mountain and they were so good to us when they found out what we were there for and the purpose, they just opened their doors and basically said, Hey, you're here for a charity event to work with, you know, underprivileged kids. Most of the kids were from Albuquerque. If you've, you know, for listeners that don't know anything about New Mexico or Albuquerque, um, it's a city and it's, uh, I mean, it's equivalent to Los Angeles. It's, mm -hmm. it's got bad parts of it, et cetera. And just like any major city or me metropolitan area, there's a lot of kids that end up in the system, um, by system, whether, whether it's, you know, orphanages, whether it's, um, um, you know, getting in trouble legally, uh, you know, parental stuff, whatever it may be, um, school, not, not learning differently, et cetera. So, uh, we linked up with, uh, NMX and they, they linked us up with a huge group of kids, uh, from the Albuquerque area and, um, you know, around New Mexico and brought them all out, bust them out to this mountain. And we got to spend, a ton of time with them and they were just so stoked again these are kids that most of them i got to talk to all of them we, it was really fun most of them never skateboarded before never surfed never seen never seen the ocean Mo the majority of them had never seen snow before other than you know seeing it on a, a christmas movie or something like that so never seen snow in their lives never been on a skateboard never surfed never had any of that and um I didn't touch on this when we were saying where I was from, but uh, um, I lived in an orphanage when I was a kid in 1984. I lived there for a while. Um, my parents were crazy people. Again, I touched on my dad was a pro surfer. Well, my parents were super young. My mom was pregnant when she was 19. And <clears throat> my parents were in and out of jail a lot. And uh, my dad disappeared to Mexico a lot and surf trips. So uh, I ended up in an orphanage when I was four years old. And I lived there for a long time. So it was a very emotional experience to, to spend time with kids from a similar background and uh, get to be in a position where I got to hang out with them and be older and give them a little bit of advice and, and not even advice. It was more of just putting, shining a positive light on something, you know, someone that's completely surrounded by negativity 24 hours a day. Um, they may not need advice from you. They may not need like, oh, it's going to be better tomorrow. Oh, da, 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 da. like something generic that you're going to see on an after school special. They just need to have fun. 
then that's it. They literally just, they just need to have fun. They need to have a to good live day. in that moment. Yeah. Ex- to live in that moment. That's perfect. Jared. Like, like, so for them to be there, we, we had like right out of the gate, snowball fight. Everyone's laughing, snowball fight and playing in the snow. We got to, you know, sit down with them and just put snowboard boots on them, put a snowboard on them physically, like do, do that. Um, some of these kids, you know, we, you know, here's my gloves, wear my gloves. Here's my beanie. Here's my goggles, put goggles on. Like, let's, let's just have fun and be silly and, and just laughing. And, and Pajarito has a, one of those uh, magic carpets, like a treadmill. And so we put them, that was the first thing that they got to do is get on the magic carpet. And that's fun. It's fun in itself. I had a good time. I, you know, I'd never been on a magic carpet on a snowboard before. So I got on there with, with, uh, uh, the kid that I was working with and they all kind of, you know, they, they bug got bust out together. Some of them knew each other and they were poking fun at each other and having fun. And um, we got to show them how snowboarding works just on this little teeny bunny run and get the feel for it at first and, and run alongside them and throw snowballs at them. And, and, you know, just like anybody snowboarding the first time, they're just ragdolling, just wrecking, but it was, you know, so they'd wreck and then you, you know, jump and do like a body slam on, like have fun. And, um, same thing, you know, we'd I'd fall on the ground or we would wreck and then they'd throw snowballs at us and, and they progressed really quick because they were young. I think they were all in their like early teens and, you know, man, I was surprised at how fast they actually progressed. And by halfway through the day, we were on chairlifts. And we were going up on the chairlifts and then that's fun. Cause they're yelling there. The chairlift went right above the run we were on. So they're yelling at their friends and everyone's dude, you're doing great. And blah, blah, blah. And um, I think, you know, some people brought out drones and we had like GoPros going and all that. And they were stoked to see that they were super excited to see drones and, and, and the GoPros. And, and then they were really wanted to see us. They want to see us do, you know, whatever, like just even having fun, like buttering, buttering to them like oh that's so cool and they're getting so excited about just little stuff that you know we take take for granted like you know with, with your friends being silly and it was just it was such a fun day and then we all you know halfway through the day we break for lunch and we go to lunch together and we all sit down and and we get to talk and hear a little bit about their background and have fun and um and then we get back out on the hill again and at the end of the day it was just it was just like a really fun experience. It's silly. It's, you know, it's taken really light and the emotions that are involved in it. When you see the, the people from NMX, like it was, it was really hard to get through the day without constantly like crying because those people were, they were so elated that I'll never even just forget the NMX people like constantly like giving us hugs running over. Oh my God, thank you guys so much for coming out and doing this. And we're like, yeah, we're just, snowboarding you know we took it uh, so light like yeah we're just out here having fun this is a normal day for us you know this is fun we're enjoying this too this is silly for us and they would just it meant the world to them and it was so fun and watching those uh i have a ton of that footage still on on a a gopro and i'll I'll go back and just rifle through my you know my gopro gopro app and bring those up and you just see how stoked everybody was and how much fun everybody had and it was a really cool experience. I would recommend highly to everybody out there. I know that this winter was schmutz because of uh, Corona BS, but um, whole, you know, next year coming into a, a good season, if you can make one of those events, it's a, it's a game changer. It'll, it'll change your life. 
maybe even get like a good tattoo. Maybe get like we start like a new trend and everybody gets like a mountain vibes tattoo or something after. <laughs> the event. Yeah. We well, you know, Rafi, Rafi has a mountain vibes tattoo. I love that. Yeah. He, of course he does. He's all about it. And I love that, you know, of course you just hit the nail on the head. Everyone who's listening, hopefully, you know, we'll be able to do these events next season. And we will of course invite people to come and volunteer to take out as many kids as we can. I'm really hoping we get to do a couple. Brandon, hopefully we'll see you there. I know Jarrett comes to all of them. Nate, I know you really want to be there as well Um, because it is truly an incredible experience. And I know that we're able to teach those kids about having positive outlets in life like snowboarding. And speaking of, you know, having those positive outlets. I know that a couple of those kids have come to us and tell, like they've, they've said how much they've found that they love snowboarding. And I know that there are probably a lot of listeners right now who are, are younger, who absolutely love snowboarding. And so my question to you is, do you have any advice to give, I guess, the younger generation of snowboarders who may be listening when it comes to all things snowboarding. And I know that you are close with uh, Dusty Hendrickson and his family. Um, And, you know, what what advice do you have to those who are maybe hoping to be like him one day? Man, that's great. I'm glad you brought up Dusty because he's a good example. Dusty just turned 18. um, And so he's young buck. His parents... are really, really good friends of mine. Jen and Marco, we've been friends for a super long time. So I've known Dusty and his little brother, Dylan, since they were babies. And uh, Dusty was very much like Sean was when Sean was little, you know, he's just always been a prodigy and he's always done everything he's done. You know, he rips on a skateboard, he rips. So uh, a lot of people don't know about Dusty. He's rips on a motorcycle. His, His name is Dusty because Marco loves motorcycles and motocross. And that's where he got his name from, Dusty. <laughs> so his parents, grandparents live. So I'm from San Clemente. Um, his grandparents live in San Clemente. So he surfs also. Um, Dylan, his younger brother, same thing. Surf, skate, snow, moto, everything. Um, so right out of the gates, my first advice would be is, is expand your portfolio. And what I mean by that is do more than one sport. If, if you snowboard, try surfing, skateboard. Do it, anything, rollerblade, I don't care, like with a ski, snowboarders, try skiing. The muscle mem- the, the muscle groups that you use, I, I, I'll strap on skis at Mammoth. I'll rent skis once a season, at least because my wife's a skier, and I'll rent some new bitchin' twin tip skis and go out, and it's hilarious. I look like just full throttle, like my legs, they're like this going down the hill. <laughs> Baby giraffe mode. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, your quads are just on fire because it's different muscle groups you also feel it like i'll i'll hit boxes and jumps i don't land i ragdoll and i I get hurt but but i'll hit like little jumps because you've it's so weird hitting a jump on skis that there's when your feet are in the air the back of your skis are still on the lip of the jump and it's this weird feeling that like oh it's something still pressing down when it shouldn't be and then it, it can transition into snowboarding a lot better when you understand edges and there's two edges. So I think expanding the portfolio is so big, doing other sports. Um, and then in the summertime, making sure that you're, you're doing enough to have enough muscle mass. Again, I'm a little guy. That's one of the major reasons for a lot of my injuries. Um, I've blown both shoulders. I have no AC joint in my right shoulder, two blown uh, rotators and uh labrums 
um, <laughs> which sucks for trying to paddle surfing now. And you get these, like these rad, like one of these, like collarbones yeah. that stick out everywhere. The, the snowboarding collarbone, um, build muscle mass, build things so that you can take a fall, do things that like, like work out is, I know it's, it sucks. I hate working out. I hate it more than anything in the world, but I do it because I know I have to, um, just keep, keep up with things. When snowboard season comes the first day on the hill, you shouldn't be exhausted after the first time. You should be able to go into that first day. Like, Oh, I've been doing squats for the, since October nonstop and I'm ready. And your first jump should feel like, Holy cow. I've got twice the pop that I had from last season. Um, I've seen that I've, I've witnessed it in my, my own physical body where I've had seasons where I was just lazy and do anything all summer. I just kind of went by, you know, go to the beach here and there, whatever. And then come winter time, my, Oh my gosh, I can't even pop off of a jump. I can't even like ollieing onto a rail is hard because my legs are so weak because I hadn't kept up with it. So that's a big one. Um, for the younger generation, uh, no one wants to hear this, but I'm going to say it. Um, ride sober. If you can ride sober. I have witnessed so and this goes for everything, uh, surf, skate, and snow. Um, I have seen people just go downhill so fast. And, and I don't mean that like physically, like riding downhill fast. Like, like they just train wreck <laughs> from, from drugs, alcohol, et cetera. Um, I'm not going to tell everybody not to party. Party all you want on your own time. But while you're riding, do it sober. It's... <laughs> it's you're going to learn more sober you're going to have better muscle memory you're going to understand what you're doing you have less likelihood to get hurt um um yeah that's a big one um dusty's super strong so again we touch you back on him he's very strong we it, jenny jenny his mom calls him a jock which is funny <laughs> when you're in extreme sport to be called a jock but that's what she says about him she's like he's a jock if he wouldn't have been a snowboarder he would have been a football player He's, he's mm-hmm. built like that and he's strong and he skates snowboard serves every day. He doesn't take days off. There's no days off. There's no downtime. When you're that young, um, you can do it and you have different hormones. Back then. I would kill to have the testosterone that I had when I was 18 years old now <laughs> and, and less injuries. Um, the next thing, and I hope this one sinks in learn your tricks, progress progressively. I see a lot of, and and this happens, I've written chairlifts with guys that love to boast like, oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm working on double backflips. I wrote a chairlift with a guy and I hope he's not listening because I'm going to throw him under the bus. (laughs) I wrote a chairlift with a guy last season that told me he was working on doubles. I rode with this guy for about three or four runs. They're like, okay, this guy's talking about, he's, he's talking about himself on the chairlift. I want to see how good of a rider he is. He's boasting. He's peacocking. So telling me he's working on doubles. I'm like, okay, cool. You must be a ripper. Let's see how rip, how much you rip. And he could barely do a clean three. His three off of a small jump was sloppy, no grab. So this guy's talking about doubles. He's talking about, oh yeah, I want to. I'm going up to Mammoth this weekend because the jumps are bigger and I can work on doubles. But he couldn't do a clean three, and I see a lot of that. I see a lot of that in snowboarding, um, especially in Southern California. I can speak for uh, guys that are trying to do flips and trying to do different. 
things without having the foundation uh, of those tricks. Learn a three. Now, once you've learned a three, you better have all your grabs before you do a five. You better be able to do it nose, three with a nose grab, a tail grab, indie, melon, like truck driver, that thing. Do every grab you can. Do it blindfolded before you move to a five. And now, once you've done a five, same progression to a seven, to a nine, et cetera. Like learn your tricks because what, what you see that's really funny, you see lines, right? And, and I see this on all, all the time on, on social media. You have a, a lines. So when I mean that, uh, like terrain parks at any mountain all, all over where you have three, four jumps in a row. And it's like, okay, you just landed switch. You did a five, but you can't do a cab five. You can't spin cab. So they'll land five and then turn it around. So land and then wash around a regular because the next jump, they can't go to the next jump switch. So because they haven't learned those progressions enough, you know, or like, oh, I can do a back nine, but I can't do a switch back three. So get your foundations, get your foundations down before you do it. Learn a lip slide before you try a backside 270 onto a rail. I see that too. I see guys. I've seen guys at Bear Mountain that are trying 270s onto rails that can't do a regular board slide clean. Mm. So that's a big one for the, for, for the younger community, like learn, progress progressively, learn your tricks, have a good foundation. Um, man, Bradshaw said it best years ago, Bradshaw was doing like, I don't even remember where the interview was, but I just love that. He said, he's like, I will, if I do a trick one time, I don't know that trick. If I did a back 270 onto a rail one time, I don't know that trick. I've done the trick, but it's not in my bag of tricks until I've done it X amount of times. That trick is not in my bag of tricks until I've done it 10 times or I've done it X amount of times in a row. So just because I've been like, okay, cool. I did a back 270 onto this rail and I've done it one time. I don't ever have to do it again. Instead of that, it's like, okay, perfect it, perfect it. Be able to do it every time. You should be able to do it every time. That way it's in your bag of tricks and you can pull it out when you need it or you need it in a run where you don't have to switch back to regular before you, you hit the next jump. So that's a, that's a big one. Um, man, what else for the young bucks? Uh, what I'm really happy about. Oh, sorry, Nate, go ahead. No, I'm just saying that was, that was a wise statement you just made. Yeah. A lot, a lot of people overlook that. And I think it's definitely important to touch on that and really like, you know, progression is key of course, but you gotta, you gotta progress wisely and uh, in, in a timely manner, I guess. You don't run before you walk, you know, okay. you got to crawl, stand up, walk, then run. And that's, that's so big. And, and then, and it's amazing what that will do to your style. You know, that your style changes so much when you've, you've got to that level. So what I've seen and I'm happy with was there was this battle for corks for the last X amount of years, right? After the double, then it was like, then it was the triple. Then, you know, Mark came out and did, triple, then it was, you know, Torsa and the whole crew was like triple, 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 triple. And that's all contests were. And then it was like, okay, now who's going to bring the quad? And then, you know, then it was like the battle between uh, Max and, uh, and Marcus Cleveland for the quads. Right. And I'm really happy to see that after the quad been done, that, that the younger generation is going, okay, that's enough. It's lame. Cause it kind of is like, it's, which, <laughs> it's not lame. If you can do a quad, God bless you. Like that's freaking awesome. 
the level, that level is insane. But what I'm really liking is the regression for progression. So instead of working on quads now, I'm seeing the guys doing doubles more clean, doing better doubles. So going back to, and, and this is one that, that uh, uh, I, I think I've even heard Dusty say is instead of like, like F and I'm not going to do quads anymore. It's just like, Hey, I'm going to go not even triples. I'm going to do doubles, but they're going to be rad. So I'm going to off axis. So that first rotation, I'm going to be, you know, whatever. I'm going to grab melon. I'm coming over the shoulder. Now that second rotation, I'm going to tweak out. I'm going to like, let go grab here and rotate the other way for a double. I think that that's the coolest thing in the world. I love that style. I love that, that front side cork melon that then gets pulled out into a method that in the second rotation, that is the sexiest thing in the world to me. I think that's so cool. You can't do that without a foundation. You can't turn, you can't go from an indie to a method when you're, you've already rotated 540 degrees and you're into your second flip without having that foundation and it being clean. So when you watch guys like Dusty now that like, it looks effortless. Every trick he does looks effortless. A double looks effortless and he opens up when he's still got 15 feet before the sweet spot of the landing and then drops that tail down. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's all, it looks good. It looks as opposed to that, like, Oh, I got to whip this and ragdoll this. And I'm going to get that last, <laughs> even pretzel moves look better when you're under control. When you see that front board, that front board and then pretzel out when it's like whipped weird and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't look as good as that like flowy, that flowy, like, oh, I got this. And then flowy, like, snappy. Yeah, you pop that thing out and come around and you get the full rotation and don't have to wash out that last 90 degrees. That looks so good. It just looks awesome. And that feeling is awesome too. So I would, I would uh, recommend that, you know, again, beating a dead horse now, like progression and really learning, get comfortable, even if it's silly. Work on all your grabs. Spend a day working on grabs. Like just... <laughs> You know, never hurts, you know, it, and it's fun as silly as it is. Make it a fun game with your friends. Like, okay, we're just working on, I'm just writing switch. Yep. I'm writing switch this run. I don't care if I ragdoll switch straight airs are so <laughs> difficult or terrifying. I'm 40 years old to this day. I can do, I, I, I can do a cab nine right now. Like my foot wasn't hurt. Right. But a switch method off a good size jump there is a hundred percent chance that I'm going to tomahawk the landing hundred percent. Like the, it's like, the, it's such a hard trick for me. Like a switch method is, is like, is so awkward and weird. Um, so that was one for me that I wish I would have, if I could go back and tell myself that I would have like grabbed my face and be like, dude, work on your switch tricks. Like, like, like from the beginning, like, don't, don't just, cab spin, you know, huck for the bug, like work on it. Do switch straight airs. Do switch back threes. Like the switch back three to this day, again, is a difficult trick for me. I'm embarrassed to say that, but it is. A switch back three is difficult. Switch back five where I'm going back to regular is easier than a switch back three. It's just an awkward trick. I, I have a hard time grabbing it even. I feel, I feel ridiculous in the air. I usually like fly, flail my arms in the air. Like, dude, what was, what was that? Be on oh, nothing. Don't watch this one. That's one of those ones that you write. I work, you work on it like Snow Summit on Westridge when there's no one around. 
I go, okay, cool. There's no one watching. I'm going to work on switch straight errors so that no one knows that I'm just going to eat it. Totally. I mean, I couldn't have said it better myself, you know, really bring it back to the basics and work on the, you know, the mechanics of, uh, of snowboarding before you kind of start chucking doubles and, and going above and beyond your, uh, your abilities. I can see it in Nate's writing. Like, uh, I mean, prior to this, um, when I got a few seconds with, to talk to Nate, I told him I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, I love the way you ride, man. It, you, it flows so well. It looks effortless. And I, I don't think I've ever seen you actually like have to like whip something around or, or last second, get that last 90 degrees to get that last part of a rotation. It looks so effortless. And that's what I like. I follow, I'll follow Instagram people that have that, um, you know, one of the cleanest riders in, in my opinion of all time, time is Torstein. Mm-hmm. Torstein, like everything he does looks effortless. And it's just, there's this flow to it. And it's, it's amazing to watch. I love that. I love seeing that more than I like seeing the, the whippers. <clears throat> I, I fully agree, dude. And I do appreciate that. That definitely means a lot. Uh, I have a question. So pretty much, I think 90% of videos that I have posted on social media have been taken down via Instagram and Facebook because of music. So I have, I know how to edit. I can make little fun, little snowboard videos and blah, blah, blah. And I've been writing for so long. I can throw old stuff together and just like runs together. If you go to my Instagram page right now, like you can't see 90% of the stuff that I posted because they've taken it down because of music. How the heck are all the young bucks and maybe you can touch on this Nate or Jarrett, like even mountain vibes. How do you post a video on social media with music on it and it not get flagged and taken down within the first day? So I know that there's a lot of people, people tend to have a lot of issues with that nowadays on. So I can touch on how I do it. You know, I use reels. They've come up with this new, um, this new way to post videos where it's a reel. um, and it can be up to 30 seconds. That's my understanding. And then from there within the app itself, you can uh, incorporate um, music that's been accepted by Instagram to use. Um, okay. I honestly, like, I haven't looked into it. It's available for me to use. So that's all I know. I don't know if Emily or Jared, you can touch on it more so, but, um, but that's, you know, that's how I've had the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I know with mountain vibes too, because obviously we post a ton of different videos with like every kind of music across the board. I know that we do get flagged like within the first, I would say like 30 seconds to minute of us posting it, it flags the music. But then it, uh, when we get the notification saying, hey, your content is flagged because of this music, uh, if this was a, a mistake, you can tell us. And so we always just go through and you just click that little notification and then you say, yeah, I have like, I'm allowed to use this music. And then you just have to, you know, type out your name and then you, you hit submit and it reposts. So that's what we've been doing. <laughs> I'll even get flagged on stuff that I posted like five years ago. Yeah. No, no exaggeration. I'll get like a, a notification from Instagram and it's like a video literally that I posted five years ago and it's I I, I like 80s music you know that Emily. I love of 80s course. pop and the I think it was like uh oh this is a recent one that I got that I posted a long time ago it, the song was you know that groove is in the heart yes groove is in the heart by delight I had that music on there it goes great with stuff. 
<laughs> with my the way that I snowboarding, the 80s music works with it. So I put that on and then I posted that video a long time ago. And I just got a notification recently that like, hey, this goes against regulation. You're using music from Sony that you don't have rights to. And they they blocked it. And then I had another one with, you know, the you spin me right round, baby, right round. Same thing, flagged, flagged, uh, uh, walking on sunshine, Katrina and the waves, flagged. But then I see videos, I follow all the snowboard companies and every day they've got music. Now, a lot of the new music, I don't care for. Um, let's touch it on that. It probably just depends how intense their copyright is. Now, I actually had had this thought, like I, I, don't, I, I don't care for mumble rap. I'm an old man. Remember? So a lot of the videos that I see nowadays are, you know, the young guys with the, the mumble rap on, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe this stuff doesn't get flagged because it's new music or something like that. And all the stuff I post is old music. So I was trying to figure out what the loophole was uh, of that. Now, going back to Dogger, Nate, like, dude, those old Mac Dog videos, the greatest soundtracks for snowboarding yeah. of all time. I, I fully agree. And hands down. And those songs to this day resonate. Like even like, uh, man, remember True Life, Nate? Yeah, I was just going to bring up, um, it might be Devin Walsh. Yeah, Devin always wrote 80s stuff too. Devin was he had, um, in, that, in that video, he had Souls of Mischief. And I think it was like 93 Till Infinity. And that song yep. is like still my favorite oh, that's song. That's a legendary song. I have that in my, my snowboard playlist that I have. I have that song in my, on my playlist. Yeah. Yeah, he would, prior to that, he always did, like, 80s tracks and stuff. I love Devin. He was the, the greatest. Um, we, in True Life, the opening track for that was, uh, was Outcast. Uh, Outcast, oh, yeah. Bombs Over Baghdad. And they, like, Bombs it, over the way they lined the, the, the way they lined up the beats mm -hmm. with everyone's tricks was... Yeah. Was those videos were ended. Like, go back and watch the opener of True Life, that international underground thunder bounce when I south the pound. And it's like every downbeat is like someone landing a rail, hitting a jump, blah, blah, blah. Like, they he edited it so well. And then even going to like JP's part in, um, man, it might have even been in True Life. It was in one of the forum videos. JP had, uh, oh man, what's that song? It's, it's a hip hop song. But they lined it up. The downbeat for the entire song was every landing. So they edited it so perfect that every time he landed was they timed it. And it was, oh, they made the best videos back then. And it made sense. And that music made sense for the way that it worked. And even they would edit things where it was like, if there was a scratch in a song, like a wicker work, like, like someone was spinning and then they'd bring them back and then spin it again. Yeah. And then now the stuff that I see nowadays is just rubbish. <laughs> yeah. That guy, like, it's just like this, like, Interesting way to tie garbage. it all together. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. There's no, or, or I think, gosh, man. And these are, these are guys that I know. So I hope they don't hear this. And I get a text message that they're pissed off at me. The people crew, like the people crew, when they were making videos, they were making these like artsy fartsy snowboard videos. that were like black and white. And then they pan over to like birds flying and then like a cityscape and then this like drab like slow emo music with someone hitting double oh. kink rails in a city like i can't get hyped on this i need like a 
I need some way to get excited. And I think that people have lost track of what that does for uh, the psyche of a snowboarder. So if I'm watching a video and I'm watching, uh, here's a good example. When, when Travis dropped um, Art of Flight and he used Justice, like basically the entire album from Justice. And um, when I'm now snowboarding and I'm listening to Justice in my headphones, I think of that it's brought me back there. And I think of Travis, like, like going crazy and, uh, you know, and Jackson all, and I'm like, it puts me in that mental game and it's part of that. And it like, it, it's amazing what that does to your psyche. I've even had it where Mamba's known me for forever. And one of my, and he knows that I'm a spaz and with music and we will, when, before we hit a jump, he will tell me what to put on. No exaggeration. So <laughs> we'll get to the top, like lined up to hit a big kicker, you know, like a 60 footer or something. And he'll, he'll have already hit it. I'm like, okay, what's my speed? What are my speed? And he's like, he'll tell me what song to put on. He's no, like, Hey, I need you to put on a slow track. So you don't overshoot. He's like, I know you like follow me and put on something mellow Brandon, or he'll be like, okay, we need to get your heart. We're, if we're at mammoth, know your like, personality. Right. Yeah. He's like, Oh, <laughs> he knows me well enough to know. Like, okay. I like, you need to put this on for right now. These jumps are big. I need your heart rate up. Like you need to put on like death metal. I'm like, okay, That's cool. awesome. <laughs> you know, like, but again, like it's fun having friends that you ride with enough that know that about you. Like, Hey, okay, this is fun. We're just going to the rail gardens. Like now rail gardens is just eighties pop. We're having fun. We're being silly. Nothing, nothing fast. Um, so m- music to me with snowboarding is I, if I don't have music playing, I don't know what to do with myself. It's a, such a weird thing to not have it have it in my head when I'm writing and even being able to like know what part of the day it is. Okay. I need my heart rate up for this. Like I need to get jacked. Like I need to switch to this song or when a song comes on and you're like, Oh, this isn't, this isn't for this run. This is not the right song. For this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, That's awesome. for sure. <clears throat> what do you listen to Nate? I'm a big, I'm a big nineties hip hop kind of guy. Nice. Early two thousands. Um, I'll listen to just about everything. I do not prefer country. My apologies if that offends anyone. That's just my personal taste. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm versatile. I'll, I'll, I'll listen to just about anything. Oh, right. favorite '90s, 2000 artist, Nate. My favorite. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm definitely like more of a, you know, I grew up listening to like Biggie Smalls and Big L and Wu Tang. Yes. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. You know, I can't pick one specifically, but I like, I probably wore out like the Wu Tang album and the Biggie Smalls albums. And nah, I'm a diehard Wu Tang fan. Yep. Too. I had, um, I had the Wu, I had Wu Tang gloves, like park gloves that were so red. The bottom of them, you go like this and it had the Wu in it. And I think uh, I remember that. Yeah. They were so red, I blew them out in a day. I'm not going to say the company that sent them to me. Because uh, they lasted one day. Okay. I, I was heartbroken. I was so excited. Like that morning, I like, posted them on my social like, Wu-Tang, like it's going to be the greatest day ever. And like fourth run of the day, I hit something, like grabbed, and it just, sh- the glove fell apart. Yes. It just shredded in my hand. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding oh, me. I retired them like four runs into the first day of riding them. And I was so stoked on those. Um, Stance makes Wu-Tang uh, socks too. <laughs> That's cool. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they're killer. So in at Squaw, um, do you ride Squaw at all, Nate? Uh, being up uh, there? Uh, yeah, you, I'll go there on occasion once, 
I don't usually go there unless like the snow condition is like top notch. You know, if okay. I'm, when I'm, when I'm in the area, uh, primarily I'll go up to Boreal just cause I have connections with them and with Woodward. Um, oh, right. you know, so, and it's just so easy and their park is fire. Yeah. But with that being said, I mean, I think Squaw is like such an awesome mountain. It's huge. There's, there's so much different terrain there. Um, we used to have back. So again, this has been like 99 or 2000 or something. We had a, at, at Squaw, they had next to the, now I haven't been there in years, so that things could have changed. But back then there's a, a park staff shack. So the main park, park staff shack, and then a half pipe. Mm-hmm. And at night you could hike, hike the half pipe. And uh, the back, it, we had CDs back then. There was no digital music yet. So we had a five disc changer in the park staff shack and there was only five CDs in it. And it was, it was like Wu-Tang, um, old, oh, gosh, um, Jurassic, J5, Jurassic 5. But it was all like that old 90s hip hop. Um, it was early outcast and that's all that was in there. And so any night that you wanted to hike the pipe, that was it. Like you just, that was the music that you listened to. And then, so that music still brings me back to this day, you know, talking about music. Like if I hear J5, if I hear old outcast, it immediately takes me back 20 years ago, like hiking the pipe at night at Squaw, listening to that music and with like that crew of people. And I can, I can still see their faces. And it's just so rad that, that music can do that, you know, to, to this day, like, you know, I told you I'm a diehard um, uh, Jamie Lynn fan. Jamie Lynn was my hero growing up. Jamie had a part in a dogger, like one of the first dogger videos um, to Lagwagon a song called Violins by Lagwagon that quickly became my favorite song. And again, to this day, I haven't watched that video part in over 20 years. And to this day, if you put on Violins by Lagwagon right now, I can see the part, that video part in my head. I can see every trick. I can see the perfect method. Because if anybody in snowboarding ever of all time, and this has been an argument I've seen on different chat boards and stuff, the greatest method of all time is Jamie Lynn, hands down. I'll, I'll go to bat with anybody about that. He has the <laughs> best, the, the perfect, the perfect method, the way it's supposed to be done. Perfect. <laughs> it is pretty good. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue with that. Brandon, I do want to say, you know, it's been super awesome chatting with you about your snowboarding career, your epic stories of growing up in the, uh, in the heyday of snowboarding and all of your insight for the younger generation. So I, you know, I can speak for all of us. We really do appreciate you coming onto our podcast I want to ask, do you have any uh, closing statements, any, any thank yous to throw out? Oh, God. A thank you list would put us on here for another hour or two. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, I'm elated uh, to still be even involved at all in the sport. I can't tell you how much it means to me just to even be getting older and, um, and still be, I, I'm not relevant anymore. I don't want to say relevant, but like be just to be included in the sport still and be around it and get to witness it and uh, have, have the opportunity to have this conversation, have the opportunities to go to the mountain vibes events, um, spend time with guys like Jarrett and Emily and, uh, and everybody else uh, is, is really awesome, man. It, it, it's keeping me young with, without snowboarding and surfing and skating and, and um, the younger generation, I don't know. I'd probably just be building stuff in the garage. I'd just be doing carpentry. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, it's the, only, it's the only thing keeping, keeping me young. And, and, um, 
thank you. Thank you, Snowboard. Thank you for uh, for keeping me around. And thank you for being <laughs> a part of it. <laughs> thank you, Snowboarding. No doubt about that. Sweet. So for all the listeners, be sure to stay tuned for our next episode. It's going to be another good one. We'll be airing episodes on the first and the third Friday of every month. If anyone would like to reach out, please do so via Instagram at Mountain Vibes or send us an email at info at mountainvibes.com. We always enjoy hearing from you. That's all we have for today's episode. Now be safe, be happy, and go outside. Mm-hmm.